Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. This sermon was recorded during our Sunday morning gathering in West Boise. Everything we do is to help you connect with God, find real community, and discover your purpose. Follow us online at redemptionboise.org or on Instagram at redemptionboise. Well, good morning, Redemption Hill. I'm Bob, uh, one of the elders of our community. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, did everyone have a good Valentine's Day? Yeah? Okay, well, that's... I, the the uh, response is muted, and I totally get that, because it is a terrible, terrible holiday, right? It's a source of angst, whether you're... Oh. <laughs> Eric, Eric, likes Eric likes it? Nice. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Well, it's, a, it's a source of angst, whether you're married or single. If you're single, it just kind of highlights that for you. If you're dating, there's this huge pressure to do something special if you're married it's like the same thing but there's the added pressure of coming up with something different than you've done for the last 10 years it's just a terrible holiday all the way around i I don't know why we keep doing it um (laughs) okay i need eric i need eric and my wife to quit okay just yeah 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 no no crosstalk please uh we were we uh Actually, this is, this is Valentine's Day after like 18 years of marriage. We went to Applebee's, which was fun. And uh, sitting next to us was this uh, couple. It looked like it was their first date. And she was very nicely dressed, had her hair done, full makeup. And this guy was just wearing like jeans and a plaid t-shirt or a plaid shirt. And just there was a huge mismatch. And you could kind of tell this is probably like a first date. And this guy did not, <laughs> yeah, and he's like, what? <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> Unless you're going out on a first date on Valentine's Day and you're taking her to Applebee's. Here's a, I, I, I mean, you can get away with that if you've been married for 18 years, right? But, uh, I did, I did. Oh, oh, see, now I'm getting Ernie in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I wonder if this is a setup. I wonder if maybe uh, this was like a, they, they had been matched by some friends. And I'm wondering how many of you have ever been set up on a date or introduced to someone by a friend or a relative? Yeah, anyone? Anyone? Oh, Marge, yes. Erica? Anyone got a good story? Anyone marry someone they were set up with? No? Oh, yes? Nice. <laughs> My definition, yes. Who, who set you guys up? Um, it was actually my uh, roommate. Yes. Who didn't want me living with them anymore because I was spending more time. So she got me connected with another gal, and I lived with her, and he moved into the apartment next door. Nice. Nice. Married the boy next door. Aww. Nice. When I was in my, uh, in my early 20s, I got dumped hard. And uh, the next 10 years of my life was just like this decade of me trying to get my battered courage back up to a place where I could actually talk to a woman. And ju- just this constant fear of rejection. But you know what I never had a problem doing? 
I never had a problem telling someone how great a friend of mine was and why they should consider dating them. That, that seemed to be pretty, I could sell people on someone else. That was easy. Why do you think that was? Why was it so hard for me? Luckily, I got over it, but... So humble. <laughs> yeah, why is it hard to approach someone yourself, but it's kind of easy to say, hey, I've got a friend. Vulnerable. Vulner- what do you mean? Being vulnerable is hard. There's a vulnerability in you putting yourself out there, but suggesting a friend, that's a little bit different. Yeah. We're in Acts chapter 4 this morning, and believe it or not, this is all relevant. While you are turning to Acts 4, the context of what we'll read today is Acts 3, where Peter and John, two of the disciples, are walking to the temple, and they see a man who's been lame from birth. He can't walk. And it it says later in the passage, it's been 40 years. And he's laying next to the temple, next to the temple gate, and he's begging for money to support himself. And Peter looks at the man, and he says, look, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he reaches down, and he grabs the man by the hand, and he helps him up. And Luke, the, the author of the book of Acts, writes that as he stood, the man's ankles and feet were healed and strengthened. And walking, leaping, praising God on ankles and feet that had never in his life supported him, he followed Peter and John into the temple. And people start crowding around as they see this man who they knew to be lame, now healed. They'd seen him day after day, year after year in front of the temple. And now they see him walking and leaping and praising God. And Peter begins to preach to the crowd. Look at Acts 3, 12 through 16. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, What is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Peter continues to preach, and that's when uh, when the authorities get involved. Look at chapter 4. Verses 1 through 7, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests and captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of believers now totaled around 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. And they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? First, just, I mean, just imagine for a second 
that you are in Peter and John's situation. You're doing a good deed for someone in need. People gather around, and so you begin to share your faith, the, the why and the how of you doing this good deed. And the next thing you know, you're arrested, you're thrown in jail for the night, and then brought before the highest court in the country and its leaders. Basically, you're standing in front of Congress and the Supreme Court. What would you be feeling? I'm serious. What, what would you be feeling? Scared. Yeah? What else? Anything else? Fear? Intimidation. Yeah. I think, that's, I think that's what they're going for, is intimidation. Yeah. The question of in whose name they did this is interesting. By what power or in whose name, they ask. To do something in the name of someone is to invoke the, the presence and the power of that person or that authority. And this is what Peter was doing when he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Jesus had promised his disciples that he would be with them and saying, in the name of Jesus, it wasn't, it wasn't like an incantation or just a nice tagline to the end of a prayer like, sincerely yours, in the name of Jesus we pray. No, it was the recognition of a reality. The reality of the presence and power of Jesus himself and a standing in and under his authority. Look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Doesn't sound very afraid, fearful, intimidated, does he? This man was healed by the power and presence of Jesus. It's not that the name of Jesus is magic. In fact, a lot of people were actually named Jesus at this time. It's just a variant of the name Joshua. It was a pretty common name. The name itself isn't powerful. It's the presence and power of the person that, that the name represents. Verse 11. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. No other name, only the presence and power of Jesus, the one who was crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Now, here's where it gets a little fun. Look at verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see there were no or that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. The Greek word here for ordinary men with no special training is idiotes. 
they see the boldness with which these, these two were moving and speaking, and they wonder, how did these idiots, these uneducated, simple people, how do they speak this way and do these things? Verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred with themselves. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot, for everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of wonder the same thing about these men, especially Peter. Peter, who only about eight weeks before had denied even knowing Jesus, was terrified to even be associated with him. So what happened between then and now? Where did this boldness come from? Two places, I think. First, let's go back to what we talked about in the beginning. I want to submit that the reason it's so hard to ask someone out, and yet so easy to try and match others up, is because in the second scenario, we've removed the element of our own personal pride and self-worth, right? If someone says no when I ask them out on a date, that says something about me. Whether they intend to say something about me or not, I'll still take it as it's about me. But when I say to a friend, hey, 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 so-and-so is really cool, you should, you should give them a chance. If they say no, I might be a little bummed because I think they'd be great together, but I, I certainly don't take it personally. They're not saying anything about me. When Peter is denying Jesus, saying, no, I don't even know that guy, it's because in that moment he's thinking about his own reputation, his own safety, his own life. But when eight weeks later he's standing in front of the highest authorities in the land, He's speaking with boldness because now he knows it's not about him. It's about Jesus. Why do we sometimes have a hard time speaking about our faith with others? Why are we so meek in engaging neighbors, friends, coworkers? Because we think it's about us. What if I tell this person that I'll be praying for them and they look at me like I'm weird? What if I tell them how God has brought me through hard times as I try to encourage them in their hard times and they tell me to get lost? Okay, what if they do? And they actually probably won't, but, but even if they do, 
It's not about you. It's about Jesus. I think often it's as though we are trying to get people to get to know our friend Jesus through dating us first, which is super weird if you think about it. It's just ridiculous. We're the matchmakers. We're the buddies, the friends. We're not the stars of the romantic comedy. We're just trying to get two people that we love to meet. Because we know that once they do, good things are going to happen. We can remove our egos from the equation entirely. My pride, my ego, my self-esteem is not impacted in the slightest because someone doesn't want to meet my friend. And it shouldn't be just because someone is uninterested in Jesus. But even knowing that, I still have a hard time stepping outside my comfort zone and into spiritual conversations. Maybe you do too. And that's where the second factor in the the disciples' dramatic change comes in, the Holy Spirit. Look at what Jesus promised his disciples in Luke 12, 11. He said this, And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. What does he say next? What does he say next? Do you not have that up there? He tells them, and I can't find it. Yes. Yes. Why can't Anyway. The Holy Spirit will tell you what you need to say. Jesus had told them this very thing was going to happen. And they're remembering it. And remembering his promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit with them. And so they're filled with boldness. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, the best way to show that, it's, that you still think it's all about you is to think that your eloquence, your learning, your wisdom matters in the least as to whether or not someone else comes into relationship with God. I mean, Peter heard well what Jesus promised, and he leaned on that promise. He knew it wasn't his own power or authority healing people. He knew it wasn't his own pride or self-image that was on the line. And when he acted in the power of the Holy Spirit, because he was acting in the name, the presence and power of Jesus, amazing things happened. Look what happens next. Verses 23 through 31. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voice together in prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? 
Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then, what did they do? They preached the word of God with boldness. The meeting place shook. What is that all about? I don't know for sure, but it's a thing that we see quite often in Scripture when God's presence shows up. And I wonder if it's about displaying the power, the unshakable nature of the kingdom of God over and against everything else. The strongest buildings, the mightiest rulers, the most powerful forces, their strength pales in comparison and they shake in the presence of the unshakable king and his kingdom. They prayed for the same boldness that they had seen Peter display. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and preached and lived with the same boldness. And in the same way it had with Peter, it began to be less about them and more about introducing others to Jesus. Verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barabbas, or Barnabas, excuse me, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. It'll be an important detail for a couple weeks from now. Do you see what happened in them as they prayed for boldness? as they began to see it wasn't about them. So where does this impact us in our community? Where does it meet the lives of us here today? You can probably begin to see some of the contours of it. I want to speak to those, both those who have committed to following Jesus and those who haven't or haven't yet decided. For those of us who have decided that we're going to be followers of Jesus. There's this, a single charge that Jesus left us with. Just one thing. He said, do this one thing. What is it? Hmm? Mm, that's good, but yeah. Which is, it, love each other is included in there. That's how we do it. But the charge that he left was make disciples. That was his, his commission to us. And it's, we see that driving the whole narrative in the book of Acts. Make disciples. That charge to do our best through love. To introduce others to Jesus and help them grow in knowing and following him. And that charge applies to us all. 
young and old, introvert or extrovert, whether you know the Bible backwards and forwards or you couldn't tell if a verse comes from Third Peter or Second Hesitations. But the good news is, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. You are not trying to win people to you. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yes. It is about trying to tell them about this amazing person that you know. That's it. And when you realize that, and the more you remember that, the more the pressure is off and you can just relax. It's not about you and it's not dependent on you. It's the Holy Spirit from start to finish. It's him that is arranging the conversations and as you are living in utter dependence on him, giving you the words, the boldness, the courage to speak and more, remember this, you are always safe in the unshakable kingdom of God. Is it scary to try to get to know neighbors you don't know? For some of you, that's like, that's no big deal. I love doing that. For others of us, that is terrifying. For some odd reason. But I am always safe in the unshakable kingdom of God. And so I can do those kinds of things without fear. I mean, I doubt you'll end up in front of a court for doing good in the name of Jesus, but if you do, so what? You are always safe in the unshakable kingdom of God, the thing before which all other things shakes. But that doesn't mean that we don't have any role to play. We have to be willing and open and listening to where the Holy Spirit is nudging us. And like the followers of Jesus in Acts chapter 4, willing to pray for boldness, willing to put aside self and become generous with our stuff, with our money, and most importantly, with our very selves. The thing that you can grow most in your generosity with is just yourself. Offering your kindness, your friendship to neighbors, coworkers, offering your time and attention to them, to people who need to know this amazing Jesus that we are getting to know. Redemption Hill, this year, can we do that? Can we share ourselves, not just with each other, but with those who are not yet here? Can we pray for boldness corporately and individually? Can we become more and more open to what God is doing and wants to do around us? And so generous with our, our stuff, with our money, with our time, our talents, that our very neighborhoods begin to be transformed. I want to give you a very specific challenge for the time between now and Easter. Right now, pull out your phone, right now, and just, <laughs> don't go to Facebook, please, just go to blesseveryhome.com. That's it, blesseveryhome.com. And here's the challenge, today, maybe even before you leave, Sign up. It's free. You enter your address, and what they've done is they've taken publicly available data, and they've made a map. So for some reason, Google Maps and this one doesn't recognize Goddard Place, which is where we live, so it put me on Goddard Road out there. 
but uh, this is our street. And if you click on any of those, it'll tell you the names of the people that live there. It's just publicly available data. And, uh, <laughs> okay, it's kind of creepy, but <laughs> hey, it's out there, so let's, let's use it. So I can see, oh, that neighbor I haven't met yet, this is their names. And when the ones in red are ones that I am committing to pray for. The one in blue, they're sitting here today. That's the Grand Nelly. <laughs> they're in blue because I'm not only committing to pray for them, but I'm in relationship with them because they're part of my church community. And if you want, they'll even send you, you can say, I want to pray for these people, and they'll send you a couple names every day in your email just as a reminder. Imagine not having to just nod hello this is for all you introverts out there. Imagine not having just to nod hello at that neighbor whose name you have never gotten or can't remember, but now it's been two years and you're just way too embarrassed to ask. So you just go, hey, buddy, how you doing? Imagine actually knowing who lives there. Imagine being able to greet them by name. Imagine being able to pray for them by name. And the that's the challenge, just this. Just begin to pray for your neighbors by name. That's all. I'm not asking you to do anything scary. Just to begin praying for your neighbors by name. Ask God for the boldness to at some point begin to get out of your comfort zone and for opportunities to be the presence of Jesus, the presence for good, and just see what happens. And that's it. Between now and Easter, just pray. Pray for your neighbors by name. Will you do that? I'm trying not to make eye contact because I don't want to single anybody out, but this is an actual question. Will you do that? Anyone? I hear, okay, I, I heard a couple. Let's pray for our neighbors by name and see what God does. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, let me just say, man, do I have someone amazing that I'd love to introduce you to. And one of the best ways to get to know what Jesus is all about is to get to know a community like this that is being shaped by his power and his presence. And my invitation to you is simply this, hang around, check it out, engage. See if you don't begin to see why all these people have decided to give their lives to this amazing person. See if you don't begin to experience what we have experienced. Ask questions, raise your doubts, push back. Jesus can take it, and so can we, honestly. But engage and explore. If Jesus really is who he says he is, and there's a chance that he's as great as we say he is, I think you owe it to yourself to at least explore. And if you want to know about, more about what that could look like, come talk to me afterwards. Would you pray with me as the band comes up? Holy Spirit, we do not have the kind of boldness that we see in the book of Acts, but we want it. Maybe not even the boldness to stand up and preach to people, but just the boldness to do good, to bring healing in our neighborhood, to engage people who need to know 
the amazing person of Jesus, Holy Spirit. Would you bring the kingdom of Jesus in our lives, on our blocks, in our neighborhoods and schools? Here in this treasure valley, God, would you use us and all those like us, followers of Jesus who are gathered this morning all around to see that kingdom of God come, people healed, made whole, brought into relationship with Jesus. And Lord, would you start with us? Would you start with us? Let's worship. This content is meant to help you understand the Bible and what it means to follow in the way of Jesus. But we have seen that this can't happen in isolation. It only happens in community. We'd love to have you join us at Redemption Hill or a church local to you that helps you grow in following Jesus. Drop us an email if you have any questions for our teachers to info at redemptionvoice.org.